And yes, you are listening to Behind the Lens. Welcome back to yet another edition. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens. During the week, you can find my reviews and interviews in print and online in the U.S. and abroad. But every Monday, you can find me right here on Adrenaline Radio, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And I don't know where Brian just went to because I'm not hearing anything in my headphones. (laughs) I'm not hearing anything in my headphones, Brian. So we're having technical difficulties this morning, which need to get fixed within three minutes (laughs) before our first guest. And, of course, we've got static on the feed to the camera. Uh, So Lydia is going to have fun when she does the edit. Nope, there's nothing. It's dead. Absolutely dead into my headphones. So while Brian tries to figure out what's going on, uh, let me give you, we've got a really, a a great show for you today. Returning today, we have directors and producers David Salzberg and Christian Tarot of Danger Close. They're going to be talking about that again. You will remember that they were here a few weeks ago when Danger Close had a theatrical had his theatrical debut. Pardon me if I'm getting a little distracted. Brian is like wandering everywhere. Oh, wait, you just, whatever you just turned, now I have audio. Okay. Now I have audio. Isn't that nice? Lovely. Yay. It's always good when you're on radio and you have audio. Um, As I was saying, David and Christian are back with us because tomorrow, May 16th, Danger Close is available on VOD and DVD. So they're going to be uh, here with us again. But joining them is the woman herself, two-time Edward R. Edward R. Murrow Award winner, embed reporter extraordinaire, the only reporter to and the first to embed with special ops, Alex Quaid, is going to be joining us. Uh, and all three of them will be here within the next few minutes uh, live. And hopefully the phones are working. Um, <clears throat> Brian, <laughs> and then at the half hour mark, uh, we go from one kind of battlefield to another as we welcome Jamie Lynn Lipman, who is the writer, director, producer of the documentary "When the Bow Breaks," uh, that takes a look at postpartum depression through postpartum psychosis, and follows the journey of one woman in particular, Lindsay Gertz, uh, who's also a producer on the film. Uh, as she battles her way back. And we get a really in-depth look with experts and with women who suffer from it and from husbands who deal with it uh, on a daily basis. Um, I think the first time anybody really became nationally aware of the issue of uh, PPD or PPP was through Marie Osmond when she first talked about it. Subsequently, Brooke Shields uh, talked about it. And that turned into a whole brouhaha on the Today Show uh, with uh, Tom Cruise making some rather unsavory remarks. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. And all of that footage is actually in Jamie Lynn's documentary. So we're going to talk to her about all of that at the half hour mark when she joins us. But before Alex and David and Christian call in, I, w- I just want to tell g- give you a little heads up here. Um, I have a statement here. From former commanding general of the U.S. Army Special Forces, Major General Mike Repass, retired. And what he had to say about Alex Quaid, the woman you're about to meet. War correspondent Alex Quaid is this generation's Joe Galloway, who tells an intensely personal story. Alex nailed the essence of sacrifice found in America's Special Forces operators and their families. Alex Quaid is the real deal. She spent more time with Special Forces operators in combat zones and back home after deployments than any other reporter. Alex knows them and their families and is uniquely qualified to tell their intensely lived, extraordinary stories. And 
trust me, this is, and for those of you that tuned in the other week, you know this is an extraordinary story, but we're going to hear it direct from Alex. But in talking about Danger Close itself, Robert Gates, U.S. Secretary of Defense from 2006 to 2011, had this to say about Danger Close. Danger Close is a gripping story of courage, loss, and love as we witness firsthand graphic portrayals of combat operations and a dedicated journalist's determination to bring closure to the family of a soldier killed in action. The courage of the troops in action and of the embedded journalist is evident, as is the deep sense of loss over an admired comrade. The story is not a needed reminder of the many sacrifices of our men and women in Iraq and Afghanistan and the brave journalists who accompanied them into battle. And who do we have joining us, Brian? Who? Who? Are, are you connecting me? Are you connecting me? Are they live? I don't hear you. Is hey, Alex... Debbie Lynn, it's... Oh. Hi, Debbie Lynn. Can you hear me? I can hear you, Alex. You know what? I can barely hear you. So let me do this. Let me call back into Brian real quick. Okay. And uh, we'll reconnect because I can't hear you. Okay. <laughs> so, Alex Alex can't you. hear me or Brian. Okay. So, and now, which, is this you, David or Christian? Is this you? David, David is on. Hi, how are you? I think Christian is on as well. Are you there too, Christian? Oh, I don't think so. We had Alex. Alex is calling back in because she couldn't hear. How are you doing, David? Doing great. How about yourself? I am thrilled. I am so thrilled to have you back and to have Alex joining us today to talk some more about Danger Close. I'm We're thrilled thrilled to be back. Let me see if I can connect Christian in, too. He's calling in to me. Oh, he's calling in to you, or he can call directly into us, whatever he wants to do. Yeah, let me see. Hello I, there. I, I'm back. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. We're like a Verizon commercial. <laughs> yes, what used to be what used to be the fun Verizon commercials. And David is trying to get Christian. He he is on with me. We are both on. Hey Christian. Hi, Debbie. How are you? I am fine. Welcome back. This Thank is, you for having us back. This is so much fun and and the boys, we got Alex with us this time. Hi Alex. Hi Alex. Hello there. I mean, where are you? Where are you in the world, Alex? I'm on the East Coast. I just got done with uh, Good Morning Texas. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Awesome. How'd that go? <laughs> well, it went great, but let's talk about Debbie's show. Well, no, we can talk about. Hey, look, you know, you know me, Alex. I go with the flow. Any, and, you know, this, this is such an important documentary. The more that we can talk about it, the more stations that talk about it, the more exposure that it gets, the better it is for the film, for this country, for the citizens of this country who I hope will see this, especially with Memorial Day just around the corner. Well, and also uh, Armed Forces Day is coming up next week, but thank you so much also just for being such an advocate for it. I know that uh, when you saw it, it just touched your heart, and I hope that when... uh, uh, the rest of the American people get to see it when it's in uh, DVDs and Walmart tomorrow that uh, it'll touch them, too. Well, and as Alex knows, you know, I have a great affinity for the military uh, in large part due to my grandfather who served in World War One with the CAV um, out of Fort Benning, Georgia, and then went into intelligence in uh, in the French area and then came back to Benning and ran the ran the brig for many years. <laughs> and you got stories, sister. <laughs> I got and then my father was also stationed in Benning uh during the Korean War for a short time. He was in the the uh Signal C unit and did the training films. Um he wow. did the television training films. So well, this is definitely in your blood then. It, it it really is. It it really is and and I love that not just Danger Close but the other films in the Heroes collection uh all just pay such and it's not glorifying words glorifying our men and women in arms. It's definitely telling the human stories within the within the combat zones and uh I think that's That's something that everybody can relate to, even if they don't think that they are military buffs or things like that. These are human stories, and they reach out to everybody. They they really do. And I know the boys and I talked about this the other week on air, and you and I have talked about this and emailed about it at at length, Alex, (laughs) about the importance of humanizing the situations and letting people 
get to meet some of these soldiers up close and personal. And I think that's something that you and Dave, uh, that David and Christian, you do so well. And Alex, well, there, there are no words for what you do once you get embedded with soldiers. <laughs> well, thank you. No, that's that's always been the mission is uh, to try to make sure that uh, that the audience, that the viewer, even news audiences, that they don't just tune out whenever they see you know somebody in a uniform because they think they've seen this all before, or they're going to get the same answers, or they're going to be seeing the same footage. And it's a chance to really answer questions for not only the American public, but also for, you know, the troops, their families. Mm-hmm. What is the approach that you, that David and Christian, that you take in putting together all of the footage that Alex brings you from the field in order to create these, especially with Danger Close, which I think is a more human story and more focused on the before and after with that story shift thanks to Alex's injury? Not that we wanted you to get well, injured, Alex. <laughs> Just, well, just the, to clarify, thing, minor detail. <laughs> yeah, the thing that, that CNI, first of all, was so blessed and fortunate to work with amazing people like Alex Quaid, you know, war correspondent journalist, like Mike and Carlos Fetcher, also superstars out in front, you know, doing these stories about others. Mm-hmm. And, and even, and even our, our dear friend Aaron Harrell, staff sergeant, who's still in, he's carrying a Camrys in the Ukraine and... He just wanted to honor his hero. So we're, we're very fortunate to meet these amazing people like Alex. And then we have an unbelievable team. Christian and I work with Jason Murgaud and Eli Baldridge and Doug Newton and, you know, our team, Jason Trueblood. And these kids, many of them who haven't served, you know, our thing is ordinary people in extraordinary circumstance and what unfolds. And since, you know, these folks were intimately captured by Alex in danger close, you know, it's a, it's something where we're really able to capitalize on. And then, you know, fortunately we had um, the ability to reach out to a family that, you know, Alex had met on this journey that certainly was reluctant about it. Just like all the soldiers and Marines and the other films, everybody's reluctant until they realize the good mm-hmm. making the film can do and be for others. Right. See, Absolutely. I mean, you hit it on the head. We have such a great team, Debbie, of people that are selfless, that have not served or been in a war zone, but it's their way to give back. Um, you know, we, we have we have editors, we have graphics people, we have music, music people, Mike Trella, the music um, that is really a key component to what we do, all the original music, it's original score. We don't license anything. Um, it's just a really special group of people. Well, and to have all those people come on board, the first thing you have to have is the footage. So I want, Alex, I want you to talk about, so the listeners can hear it from you, how you go about obtaining that footage, your lovely weenie cam. I know there have been, sev- <laughs> there have been several reviews out that I happened to glance at and then toss them aside because I thought they'd, discredit to all of you um, saying, oh yeah, it's cell phone footage and no, this is not cell phone footage. This is this is actual camera footage. There's night, there's night vision footage. So if you can give people an idea of going in and actually shooting this, because some of it's during firefights. Oh, absolutely. And a great question. And I'm glad that uh, your audience is interested in this because my theory uh, going overseas was that the audience, the viewer, they are going to be forgiving if the if the footage is real. It doesn't matter if it's not cinematic prettiness, if it's not like, oh, pan to the left and let's zoom in here and let's get this shot and make sure it's perfect. <laughs> that, you know, they understand that this is under, you know, that a lot of this is under fire and under extreme circumstances. And, uh, yeah, the going over there um, on my own, I mean, initially... Uh, you know, had had this massive beta SX. Uh, this is back, you know, good uh, whatever ten years ago. With technology and technology changes so fast, but had uh, gone over there with this massive beta SX uh, camera at, at that time and a big rental uh, uh, night scope lens. 
And uh, that stuff was just way too heavy. And, <laughs> you know, my whole goal was that I need to be able to keep up with these troops. And, I think, and so it became a very quick downsizing. And I think it's important for people to know you were there without a crew. You hooked, right. up, you hooked up with David and Christian after the fact. This was just you. You didn't have a camera right. guy. You didn't have a sound guy. Nobody's toting, tote that barge, lift that bale. This is all Alex doing this. Yeah, and unfortunately, no hair and makeup person, you know, so all of these good things. But, uh, yeah, that was one of the, the ways that I was able to actually get these embeds was because I was going to be leaving a very small footprint. It would just be me. And uh, this was a new experience for me as well, having uh, always traveled with at least one person uh, being a CNN camera crew. And sometimes if it was a luxury situation, more than that. Uh, and uh, it became very, very apparent that uh, I would have to downsize just to be able to keep up with these these uh, troops uh, and not hold them back and also not get killed. And so I then downsized to a uh, Sony PD-150, which was, a, a you know, fairly new at that time. It was a, with mini-DVs, mini-DV tapes. Mm-hmm. They were still back in the age of tape, but it was a big uh, downsize from uh, the, this massive Beta SX. Uh, and, of course, you know, the quality also goes down as you downsize cameras. And uh, that was also giving me grief, and uh, it just it was unwieldy. If you're in, in close quarters combat or you're running and gunning, so to speak, and you're jumping out of the backs of helicopters and, and on your knees, and <laughs> it just become, it became even more unwieldy. So it, uh, I managed to buy a couple of these little, basically, home video mini cameras uh, at... Uh, I think I was popping through Launchstool Air Base. I'm sorry, Launchstool Medical Center and Ramstein Air Base, and I just figured, you know what? I'm just going to buy these little little Sony handheld mini DV cameras that basically people shoot home video with, and I would turn into MacGyver and I <laughs> duct tape, uh, you know, some high speed duct tape. I duct taped a NVG, which is a a nod or a, a night scope monocle that the guys wear on their helmets. I just duct taped that to the, the mini camera and <laughs> ta-da! You know, God bless, God bless duct tape. My father, who spent 60 years in television, always said, do not ever go anywhere, anywhere without duct tape. Absolutely. That, that you, can, you can save a life with that stuff. And, uh, but, you know, you've got to figure also the whole idea with, with night scope. I had no night vision unless I was looking through this little tiny camera lens so if you figure that here I am also running after these guys on night missions, I was trying very hard. You know, my main concern was also don't trip, don't fall. I got, I didn't get lost, but I ended up behind people that I thought I was behind one soldier. It turned out that I was behind some other soldier, and I would get walked. It was like, ma'am, I think you're supposed to be over here. <laughs> so, you know, it was uh, it was a learning experience. But I figure to get back to your original question, that the audience. They will understand that if you're do, if you're bringing them along for a ride, if you're bringing them along for the real deal, and telling them a great story, getting them involved, that you are there, that they're going to forgive that it's not necessarily pretty, that it doesn't look like, uh, you know, something out of a Steven Spielberg movie, and that it might not be the cinematic quality that uh, they're used to. You know, and that's something that I I got to give you, David and Christian. I got to give you and your team credit on all of the embed footage especially some of that the night scope work because while it is cleaned up you did not try to overly enhance or as alex said prettify it it's very it's very raw and we're very in the moment on a visceral level well the other thing too is we we were able to um, do some uh, some interviews that were post the events and people, people had a chance, and, you know, and they, and I thought the guys did a really good job how they lit the interviews, uh, both um, in the Massachusetts shoot and also in the shoot in uh, Burbank. You know, Alex and Wendy with their interviews did mm-hmm. a fantastic job. The Pirelli family, um, you know, what do you say to a family that's talking about their loved one's day that they're watching on camera and have them comment on it? And consider meeting, you know, thank God for Alex, consider meeting you and the whole team a blessing. What do mm-hmm. you say to that? Yeah. I thank mean, you, right? And, you know, try to do another one. For, if you help one family every time you show these films, you've done more than most films will ever do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we leave events 
Alex has been at so many events recently. She's been doing an incredible job, you know, promoting the film, which is hard work. Um, but when you leave an event, and Alex, maybe you could talk about just comments people have said to you recently, what you've heard. Well, I'm uh, I'm pleased that uh, I think. Did you read? Uh, was it Secretary of Defense Gates's comment or, or something I, on the air? Right. <laughs> I read Secretary Gates's comment at the top of the show, along with that of former Commanding General of U.S. Army Special Forces Major General Mike Repass. Well, thank you for that, because those definitely, they, they come earned. <laughs> uh, you know, gentlemen and high-ranking individuals like that who also, you know, represent great institutions, even if they are retired, I mean, that uh, that, that says a lot. But uh, it's it's the feedback from, from people just seeing the film. I've had a lot of people who have reached out to me who have ordered uh, the film online or are looking forward to seeing uh, the film when it comes out tomorrow on DVD. Um, who have reached back and said to me that, uh, you know, wow, this really touched them. They had no idea. And that, uh, you know, this is something that they hope that everybody sees. And, you know, not to make it like a complete sales job, but it's it's that kind of thing that that's why we do this. It's uh, it, it's not about the money. At least for me, it's not about the money. It's about just trying to, to share people, share these stories and to touch people and, and to let them know that there are individuals out there that are doing things on their behalf to try to keep keep all of us safe. Yeah, and um, and I'm glad you mentioned, you know, nobody's doing this for money. And clearly, David and Christian, you are businessmen. You have a production company, as do you, Alex. But I get the sense with the Heroes Collection, this is done out of a passion, out of dedication, and out of purpose. This is not a commercial venture by any stretch of the imagination. With We're not going to see this with... You know, Guardians of the Galaxy, 63 million box office for its second weekend. Unfortunately, unfortunately not. And Alex is correct that the the team was not motivated by the money in this deal, much like the soldiers or Marines don't, you know, join or or deploy because they're getting paid big bucks. You know, it's interesting. Christian and I have been very fortunate to have a couple of legendary partners in our careers. Uh, guys that had either won Oscars, uh, in one case, you know, owned the Golden Globes, and another guy had, you know, there's only a few people that have had buildings built on lots for them. And, and guys like Barry Kemp, who was mm-hmm. a showrunner on Newhart, and, you know, Catch Me If You Can, Patch Adams, and guys like Peter Goober, uh, chairman of Sony, you know, won a Best Picture for Midnight Express and a few other films. Yeah. Um, they would both say to us separately, if you do this long enough, you know, making movies or telling stories, there'll be a time when a story presents itself to you where the story is way more important than the film. Don't be a, they would say it differently, but I'm going to quote one of them. <laughs> you can pick who it is. <laughs> don't be a don't be a dumbass and fail to recognize it when it happens to you. <laughs> it could actually have come from either Barry or Peter. <laughs> well, they're both legends, and they're both very different guys, and both, again, have crafted stories. I, you know, I've got to tell you, Peter's, Peter's thing, and Peter made some blockbuster movies, but Gorillas in the Mist, you know, you know the Diane Fossey story. That's that one of the whole, most exquisite that movie films. It's a very po- powerful movie, maybe saving a species. Yeah. You know, and, you know, and Barry's got the heart of a giant, and, and he, we still work with Barry. But, you know, it's, it, we're just fortunate to have people like Alex that will go in harm's way by themselves on their own, you know, with no support and really, you know, in, in the Mike Betches of the world. You know, they're just incredible people that exist today, and, they, and, they're, and they're telling the stories of equally incredible people that normally you never see. Well, they'll never t- – the real deal people, Alex, do the real deal people ever tell you what they do? Well, <laughs> no, it's, it's just, uh, you know, we, we just have a, a understanding when we look in each other's eyes, which sounds kind of tacky or like a Hollywood moment. But, uh, I mean, for instance, that's the connection that I have with the Medal of Honor recipients. It's like we, we just mm-hmm. look in each other's eyes and get it. Um, and there, there doesn't need to be any chest pounding. There doesn't need to be any resume reading. Um, I actually don't ever, you know, look up what people do because I just know that they have. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Alex has the honor of being a battle buddy, which in this community, very few people can have it. 
uh, you know, you'd have to be in a unit or be someone like Alex or Mike Fetcher that literally is standing next to them as the bullets whiz by. And as I said before, God bless Alex and Mike and Carlos and the other reporters that are out there and the handful of military filmmakers. Mm -hmm. You know, we had the fortunate experience with two females that were on combat videographers on Citizen Soldier. One was wounded and kept filming. Where do you, you know, figure that out. She was like an E4 and kept filming. And, uh, you know, and Alex making the decision she has to make under fire. I mean, come on, it's just, it, it, it's, you don't get second takes either. That's yeah. the other thing. So we have to craft something from first takes only. <laughs> yeah, that's... Well, and that's something, you know, with uh, David bringing up about Battle Buddies, it's uh, um, while there might be a trust that is earned downrange, um, if you come back and put together a story that uh, they don't think is accurate or, or reflects them accurately... Um, all of that goes out the window. You're only as good as your last work, which which I know that uh, Ms. Debbie Lynn, you know from your local news base too. I I know. <laughs> your last live shot. It makes no difference how awesome you are. <laughs> but uh, and that that was something that was incredibly incredibly important to me on on uh, this project was that we had to get it right and go through every single frame. And it wasn't that we're we're being cheerleaders or that we're, we're doing something that is biased or, or um, in some way cheerleading specifically for the military. It's showing people in the light in which they were doing these actions and being accurate. And uh, had we not done that, um, I mean, there would have been a viral backlash like nobody's business. You know, I got... And, I and to, you know, to that point, I just want to, I just want to say one thing, Debbie, and Alex, you might not know this yet, but... The, the opening night of the theatrical here in L.A., we had a, a really great full house. But one gentleman was there who came up and talked to me before. I didn't know who he was. I'd never seen him before, but he was a big, tough-looking guy. And he said that he was in Rob's unit. Wow. And his name was, his name was Rob, Alex, because you invited him. And he, he actually watched the movie. He was very emotional with his wife. After the movie, we did a Q&A. He stood up and he said, my name's Rob. I was in this unit. I was there the day Rob was killed. I'm the person that actually called the medic. And he said, everything you see in here is real. It's the real deal. I can't thank Alex enough for doing what she said she would do for this family. And he stood up and talked to the crowd for about five minutes, and it was so powerful. So, Alex, I... It's important for you to know that because we haven't even talked since then. Yeah, right. Was, well, and was, that was, uh, he, you know, I'd, I'd put the word out to the guys to, uh, you know, try to make it if they're in towns where it was where it was showing. And, uh, you know, these and I know exactly who you're talking about because he had given me hell when I met him. And it was like, I'm not going to talk to no damn reporter. Pardon me. I just cussed. But <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but it's and that that's what has been so important uh, and and so, you know, about having this responsibility to get it right and to do justice to their stories, not about kissing up or, or you know, giving some sugar-coated story, but about doing it right. And, uh, um, yeah, because Rob uh, circled back to me on that one, and uh, he was like, okay, Quaid, you're cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's like the highest compliment you can get from anyone in arms. Yeah. It's, uh, you well, know, it, there, there's the mother, no flowery, the, no, no big compliments. Mother not leaving no, the no, house for nine years. Yeah. The mother, the kids, we're down in Tampa at the event. The mother is, uh, she's uh, um, in the IBEW, International Brotherhood of Electricians Union up in Boston. She goes to work. She comes home for nine years. She comes this is to Rob Tampa. Pirelli's mother. This is Rob, yeah, Rob Pirelli's yeah. mother, Nancy. And then the kids are down there with, with Alex and Wendy and myself and, and a bunch of the other team was there and some couldn't make it. But it was just when the kids come up to you and say, you have no idea what you've done for our mom because she hasn't left the house in nearly 10 years. Well, you know, and I'll tell you something else that you, nobody, the other members of the team, Christian knows this, um, and Alex knows that we do this. We we do a lot of charity screenings with these films, mm -hmm. and in events where the film is given to them with no license, which is unusual for Hollywood. We have one tomorrow night in Oklahoma. None of us will even be at. And the folks that hosted our Oklahoma event with Citizen, 
they're all military. Mm-hmm. And, and they're like, can we do an event for Oklahoma? We want to bring it there. And they're bringing it there. But the one that's really, there's a particular organization. We're trying to do some other things around the country. We're talking to the Boston Bruins Foundation. And when we're talking to the Boston Bruins Foundation, we had sent them the film. And the guy's name is Bob Sweeney. He played for the Bruins. He played for the Islanders. But he's the head of the foundation. Mm-hmm. And there's hockey in the movie because the family loved hockey. But Bob, all of a sudden is on the phone with us and he's at in he's in tears and he says i can't believe that you guys make these movies it means so much to everybody i didn't serve um but i have a lot of friends that do when you know the bruins were an organization that really is supportive to the military mm-hmm. but i don't know if you know this my sister-in-law was the flight attendant on flight 11 when the first person that reported there were terrorists oh my God. on the planes was his sister-in-law. And she stayed on the phone till they flew into the trades. So the, the plane hit the building. And he was very emotional, and he's like, we're one of the first Gold Star families from that day. We'd be wow. honored to do something with you guys with the movie. What do you say to that? There, there are no words for that, David. There are no oh. words. Wow. Sorry to get emotional, but this is, you know, these movies carry a great responsibility. Or as one of our Gold Star dads says, Terry Burgess, he goes, these movies have a, bur- they're a burden and an opportunity. They're tough stuff to see and go through, but they honor the men and women that didn't come home, and that's a very righteous thing to do. Mm. Well, and I thought also um, one of my, my main goals with this film and this project was that it, if, it, if it gets people interested in learning more and seeing more and understanding more about our military or about, uh, you know, the things that are going on in the world right there. We we've already done a service. Well, and especially with talk out of Washington that somebody wants to send more troops over. So that's putting more, more of our men and women in harm's way. And I think the more that people can learn, the more that people can appreciate what, all of these individuals truly go through, I think the better off we'll all be. Here, here. Guys, unfortunately, we are all out of time today. I know Alex is going to be joining me again, maybe in another six weeks, month to six weeks. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) But... We will have way too much fun once again. (laughs) But, and she will be my sole guest on that show. So everybody can tune in then when we get a date. I'll be posting it when we work out the logistics. But in the meantime, David, Christian, Alex, thank you guys so much. Tomorrow, everybody can get Danger Close on VOD and on DVD. Now, will the DVDs just and Blu-ray also or just DVD? Both. Both. We have a combo pack at Walmart where the DVD and the Blu-ray are a combo pack. And then at all other physical retailers, you can get DVDs or Blu-rays separately. Oh, well, Brian Brian is the champion of DVDs and Blu-ray. I know that Brian will be at the store probably buying the combo pack. <laughs> he we l- love you, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, thank you all so much. And, gentlemen, I hope you will come back on the show again as well. It is always such a treat to have you. And the films that you make are truly so important. Pleasure. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you guys so much. I will talk to all of you soon. You got it. Thank you, Debbie. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye, Alex. Thank you. And you continue your mission, too, Ms. Debbie. That's about Charlie Mike. Continue (laughs) that mission. You're doing great stuff, and you're doing a great service for all our young filmmakers out there, too. Oh, thank you. And I will chat with you later. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers. And that was... Alex Quaid, David David <clears throat> Salzberg, and Christian Tarot talking Danger Close. Available tomorrow. And now we have joining us the wonderful Jamie Lynn Lipman. Hello, Jamie. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to have you. Wow. We just go from this, this very emotional... Telling, I don't know if you were listening um, to our last guest talking about Danger Close, the documentary uh, 
based out of uh, Iraq and Afghanistan and uh, focusing on a soldier and a journey to bring peace to his family. Uh, yeah, I just caught the tail end. I look forward to listening to it. Whoa. I mean, and, and to close to have David saw the producers and directors tell the story about Bob Sweeney, the former owner of the Bruins, uh, Boston Bruins talk about his sister-in-law being the flight attendant who called in terrorists the day of nine 11. Wow. She was on the flight and stayed on the phone until the plane crashed in the building into the world trade center. Wow. Unbelievable. And you got, and now you got to follow that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm ready. But, you know, when the bow breaks, this, this is a very, this also is a very important documentary. And what I find very striking in watching the documentary about postpartum depression through postpartum psychosis in the various stages, what we learn is that a lot of the treatment is very similar to how soldiers get treated for PTSD. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I found that very striking, but... The format that you have developed here in telling this story, um, you together with your your co-writer, Samantha Smart, and and I have to say up front, kudos to Samantha on her editing. The editing and pacing of this documentary is superb. Well, she is brilliant. And we went through probably 40 cuts of the film. And she's just, she's working on my new one now. And she's just an unbelievable gem that I found. And I'm so thankful to work with. I mean, and you impart so much information, but you find this balance of humanity with the information. So you never fit. Nobody's going into overload and you get every perspective here. You have various kinds of doctors. You have women that have gone through various stages of PPD to PPP. Um, and you even have husbands. I mean, you have, you, you very, you cover the entire playing field here. You know, how did you go about approaching this story? I know you met Lindsay Gerst, who you basically, as your core, you follow Lindsay's story. But then you branch out from that. Well, you know, to make a long story short, about seven years ago, gosh, that's been that long, I met, I was making a documentary about actors, and I met this actress, Tanya Newbold, and we got to talking. I had just had a new daughter. And she said, you know, I have an idea for a documentary. I had really bad postpartum depression. I couldn't find information about this. There needs to be a documentary. Is that something you'd be interested in doing? And I didn't know much about it. I didn't experience it. And when I looked at the shocking numbers of how many women it was affecting and nobody's talking about this, as a mom, I said, you know, i got to look into this a little deeper. So I posted an ad just to see what would happen. And in 24 hours, I had 100 women write to me saying they wanted to be in the film to share their stories. Wow. And it really broke every stereotype. And I looked at this and I said, oh, my goodness, this is a huge public health issue that's not even being addressed. It's not even being treated as a mental illness. And so approaching the film, it, it's, it, it was one of those things that was a little engine of code. We never had any money, but, but knew there was a need for the story to be told. And, uh, you know, once we set forward to do this, Everybody in the community, in the postpartum depression community, basically said yes and came forward and and helped us. And I knew for me it was really important. I'm not, you know, a cause filmmaker. This isn't my cause. And I knew in order to give this the reach that it needs but also do the responsibility to the community and to the women in the film, we really needed to cover everything, every form of it, so everybody out there could relate to somebody. Mm Mm-hmm. And I mean, you definitely you cover all cover that absolutely beautifully. I mean, I, Thank you, you. you go from I'm looking for her. I have all I have eleven pages of notes I made watching the film. I just want you to know oh, wow. that because <laughs> I'm going scene by scene, frame by frame, and it was just so amazing. Diana Lynn Barnes. Thank you. Diana Lynn Barnes is absolutely outstanding with the inf- the psychotherapist with the information that she imparts. But then you, you take from her and with women that, that so that we can actually hear the women who are suffering from what D- Dr. Barnes is describing. And then later on, you bring in David Bressler, um, acupuncturist and psychologist. Uh, you've also got um, Lindsay's OBGYN, Brian Fenmore. You know, but I love David. What I love is he also talks about 
the need for nutritional support and explains all of that because a lot of people forget about that. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So you provide all of this. So how do you take all of these interviews? Obviously, you didn't have all of them planned out from the beginning because something tells me with this, it's you would get an, you'd be talking to one person and get a name or have to go research that. Is that kind of how this was progressing? Yeah, I mean, a lot of this was leveraged. So, so Lindsay had found that there was going to be, when we first started forward with this, there was going to be a mental health conference in Sacramento. Mm. And basically every person from this community, this industry would be there. And I thought, oh, goodness, we got to be there, but we have no money. And so I called the woman who was putting the whole thing on, and I said, here's the deal. I will shoot your entire conference and give you all the footage if I could use the footage in my film. And she said, absolutely, and gave us a boost and passes. And that really started, kind of kicked everything off because we met so many people at that conference and were able to interview them there, interview them, you know, after the conference. So that was a big part of it. And then a lot of it was like, you know, somebody knowing somebody and and mentioning a name and, you know, Lindsay with the celebrities we got on board, she really just, she would know somebody like Artie Sakara, the celebrity chef, and she would... Find someone that knew someone that knew her and, and reach out to her. So it was a lot of different ways we got the people in the film. Yeah, how do you go, how do you go about developing the story? Because you have so many different interviews, so many different experiences. How do you then, as a director, craft it into a cogent story that people can readily follow along with and, and resonate with? Well, I think for me the most important thing was I knew that to get the reach that we were able to get, we, we've Gravitas distributed the film, I knew in order to get that kind of attention, we couldn't just have a bunch of talking heads. We needed someone to follow and someone to care about and see their journey, mm-hmm. and that was Lindsay. And meeting her, you know, early on, and when I came back around to her years later, and, she, you know, I asked her to come on actually first as a producer, and she was still suffering... I asked her what she thought about, you know, sharing this recovery process with the world. And she was on board, you know, to help other women. And I think that's, she was the through line. So it was about always keeping it consistent to her story and the people in her life and to show she can recover from this. And then weaving in everything from baby blues and psychosis and then every sort of treatment option. And then a little bit of you know, the making of the film, the kind of behind the scenes of how these things unfolded, because a lot in documentaries happens as you're making it. Right. And that's always something that I've really liked seeing in films and something I impart on all of mine is giving you that kind of peek around the corner. Mm-hmm. So how did you go about, because I am sure you probably have more interviews and more footage than you knew what to do with. So how do you distill it down? Into a manageable... You know, everyone that was interviewed is in the film. And I think it was, you know, just working with Sammy and really going round through round through round. And and when you have this, you know, massive rough cut, just figuring out what's the most important and to make sure you're not leaving anything out. Mm -hmm. So you didn't edit as you were going. You you accumulated everything first and then did a, a massive purge, so to speak. Yes. The film was completely finished, and then we went into post-production. Oh, my God. How, how, how many hours of footage did you have at that point? I think we had with this one about 50. Oh. Uh, now I'm even more impressed with what Samantha <laughs> did. Well, my new one, I have 80, so she's got her hands full right now. What are you doing to her? What are you really making her earn earn her paycheck? Boy, oh my God! Oh, Jamie Lynn. Ah, oh. yeah. I'm curious with all of the interviews that we're doing, and you get Brooke Shields to narrate, which I think was that was a that was a coup, and it was a brilliant move, given her book that she's had out and how vocal that she has been, and especially. The, the lovely Today Show debacle involving Tom Cruise, mm-hmm. which, of course, you, you include, and rightfully so, it needed to be there. Um, was it hard to get Brooke to narrate this? Something tells me no. Well, this is how it happened. So Tanya, who is in the film, and she's also a producer on it, 
from the beginning, you know, she said that was her goal is to get her to narrate this. And when she read Brooke's book, that's what spoke to her. And she said, this is what I have Mm -hmm. and, and was able to move forward because of that book and get help. And so it turned out that Tanya's neighbor is Amy, Amy Brenneman, who's good friends with Brooke. So we were able to send through her the trailer and then send her the film. And then she said that she was interested and we got on the phone with her agent and you know, she agreed to come on and narrate it and executive produce it. And that just completely put this film on a completely other level. Mm-hmm. How does that make you feel as a filmmaker when you get somebody, uh, the level of Brooke Shields, to come on board, you know, and not just narrate, but come on as, you know, as an executive producer? Did that help? You know, it's it's it- Extremely validating, um, and it was just such a, you know, this, this film is completely a labor of love. We never had any money from the beginning, and it was just a lot of hard work and a lot of not giving it up and just seeing it to the end. And so to have, you know, an almost finished film and send it to her and her kind of put her stamp on approval and say that she would come on, it, it really, really meant a lot. You know, now with, all, with everybody that, especially the women that you interviewed, did any of them have any trepidation at all about being on camera or did they see any of the foot interview footage and then ask that certain things be cut out? Cause I know so often that can happen with documentaries where people it's like they have trepidation to begin with. And then afterwards, you know, maybe buyer's remorse on certain things they said, did you encounter any of that? You know, unfortunately we didn't. Um, I have a thing. I don't let people see rough cuts and you have to really, when you come on to a project of mine, you're really trusting me. And I, I earn the trust. And I, I think that, you know, people know my intentions and, and my integrity is really strong. And the most important thing is when you watch the film and you're in it, I want you to be happy and thankful and not, you know, regretful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was just, you know, my, my style is just very conversational and interviewing. And I think a lot of these women, even some who were maybe a little shy to do this, they said yes because they wanted to help other women. Mm-hmm. Did you did you find that surprising, the amount of women who wanted to be involved with this? Yeah, I mean, it really it really quite blew me away. But then as a mom, I, I thought, well, this is why I took it on. I didn't even have postpartum depression, and I took it on to help other, other mothers. Mm-hmm. Taking it on and now, and now learning as much as you have through the course of the documentary, what's the most striking thing? that you learned about postpartum depression psychosis? How many women it's affecting and how many women are suffering in silence for the sheer reason that they are ashamed and don't want to be associated with it. I mean, when I heard the statistics, one in five women, 800,000 to a million women a year suffer from postpartum depression. That's mind-boggling. My yeah, and we, when we say these numbers, we cover, you know, from the mildest, which right. is the baby blues, all the way to the most extreme. But, yeah, that's so if you know a, a mom or you know a woman, you know someone who has gone through this or is going through this. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, um, because you do touch on it in here, that some of the women, 3 to 5%, they, they end up with, you know, obsessive-compulsive disorder. Was there any discussion about anybody having any kind of mental health issues before their pregnancy? Well, there is a handful of people who, you know, previous history of depression is definitely a condition that should be looked at and something that people should talk to their doctor about to, you know, get on medication. So we do have a a, a few people that had previous signs of depression in their past. Yeah, I mean, it just, yeah, and I have to say one of the most impressive interviews that you have and and most impressive speakers uh, is... And I'm trying to find her name now. Oh, my God. I feel so stupid at this very moment because I know I have it written down here. Jane, well, there's a lot of them. Uh, so. Jane, Jane Honickman, who's, who, oh, yeah. who founded Postpartum Support International and Postpartum Education for Parents. Her story is amazing. And I was so thrilled because you hear horror stories today of so many women back in the 50s and early 60s that were just dismissed as being crazy. Or, mm-hmm. hey, look, this is what you're supposed to do. But now Jane Honickman comes out of that that generation. 
And she has done something very proactive. And to hear her tell stories of her past and the and the times then, it's a very sad reflection that we still pretty much have the same mentality on a culture as the whole here in the United States. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I think, you know, the biggest thing is that what we see in the news with all the psychosis and infanticide and suicide, you know, those numbers are more like one in a thousand. Mm-hmm. But if you have a form of post- postpartum depression, well, you don't want people to think that that's you because right. that's what they think it is. And that's why they're suffering in silence. Did you ha- Was it difficult for you as a filmmaker? Because I know you- technically you're supposed to remove yourself and look objectively. But when you're dealing with some of the cases of... Uh, Infant, uh, of you know infant death where you had Angela Burling drowned her son in jail for 17 years um, then a few others you know uh, did that strike you was that difficult for you to do especially you're talking with the one gentleman uh, no Hermosillo mm-hmm. that heartbreaking heartbreaking it's one of the most difficult things to do you know with Naomi Knowles sitting across from her for two hours and I spent a lot of time learning about everybody that I interview and meeting them beforehand. Um, but with her, it was, you know, to hold your composure and stay strong through that, it's, it's difficult. And I think the most difficult is leaving it at the door. That's not possible because I live with it, you know, for years into the post-production process, um, you know, so that, yes, it's absolutely. So, uh during what periods were you actually filming, and then how long were you in post-production? Ah, uh, goodness. Um, I know it all runs together. It really, I mean, <laughs> it was pretty much a collective six-year process, but we really started January 2014. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, that's quite a chunk of time that, that you've invested in this, and... You know, as you even mentioned, you know, sitting there across from Naomi Knowles, I, that's just, that's heartbreaking. And then, of course, you provide us with a postscript at the end of the film. But you also give us success stories. I, I, that, I think, was is very important to this, that viewers see the success stories. Well, that, that absolutely, because you will recover from this. You know, if you seek help, and the earlier on you speak out and get treatment you will recover and, and move forward. Yeah. You know, how many, how many of the women that you spoke to went on to have additional children? Uh, we have a, we have a handful of them that did. Um, Vanessa, she had her third child. Right. And she's doing great. And she's dedicated her life to helping women with, with postpartum depression. She wrote a book uh, that just came out about it. So it's pretty amazing to see, you know, where these women have come. I mean, she seemed really content with her life in your follow-up with her. Yeah, she's a wonderful mother of three, and I think that for her, when she went and had her third child, she just said, okay, I'm prepared. I know what to look for, and I know what, if it comes up, I know what to do. So now, with you as a mother, you know, how do you, i got to ask the big question, how do you juggle filmmaking and motherhood? Oh, it's become <laughs> much more difficult. <laughs> Um, I, you know, for me, it's the quality that I spend with my kids. And when I'm with them, I'm focused and I'm a hundred percent with them. And I leave the work at home and I have a wonderful supportive husband, um, you know, who picks up a lot of the slack, but, you know, fortunately I've, I've, I've started my own company and I've acquired the rights to quite a bit of a material and I'm in post-production on another film. Now it also makes a big difference when you have a little bit more money and you can set up a plan kind of from start to finish, you so know, it doesn't consume so many years of your life. Well, but, um, yeah, it's just a balancing act. You know, for a lot of the first-time filmmakers that I know we have in the audience <laughs> that listen regularly to the show, uh, how does it feel when you actually do have a little bit of money to make a film with? Oh, I mean, I still don't have a lot, but I have so much more than I had, so I think you just have to, you have to look at what you have and appreciate it and figure out how you're going to make it work because you can make it work, you know, on any budget mm-hmm. and don't waste money and put it all into the film. Mm-hmm. You know, when you started making films, because as you said, you came out of, of acting and went into filmmaking, what drew you 
to documentaries as opposed to narratives? Well, back in film school in the early 2000s, I just fell in love when I would see early documentaries like Nanook of the North and Triumph of the Well and kind of looking at propaganda films and war films and looking at so many of these are you know, staged and actors, and when the camera's on, people perform, and I just wanted, I, I just I fell in love with them. I, I watched them all the time, and I think it was an, an easier, it's easier and less expensive to make a documentary than it is a narrative. I just directed a narrative feature, and I plan to make a lot of narrative films. I want to, you know, do both, but I think that it was just an easier kind of way in, and then also having a love to of documentaries and wanting to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, now I'm thrilled that Gravitas picked this up and God bless Gravitas Ventures because they really, they are one of the companies out there, Gravitas A24. They really hone in on these small, you know, small films, narratives and documentaries and they pick them up. It's not a lost cause. Um, for They're get- such a wonderful, wonderful company. For me, I was like, I'm going to hold out. I'm going to hold out until we get the right distributor. And when they came on, I mean, it just, it, it was, you know, the absolute best thing you could ask as a filmmaker. And they've done such a great job with it. You know, we've sold it to, they sold it to Netflix. And now we're in 64 countries and four languages. So I could not be more thankful to them. Already in four languages? Mm-hmm. Wow. That is, they are really behind this film. Yeah, they're, t- they're wonderful. You know, how difficult was the distribution process for this film? Oh, so hard. <laughs> even as I a- mean, we spent a year, you know, submitting to festivals and getting rejected. And, you know, you have to look at your product. And, and w- here's my postpartum depression documentary. You don't really have people, you know, calling you up and can't wait to screen it. Um, but we, we screened it at Dances with Films, which is a wonderful festival and just very fitting for this type of film. They really support true independent films. And that kind of launched it from there, and we got a sales agent. What's that? No, I'm listening. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I think it was the, the playback. Um, and then we got a sales agent, and she was, you know, very tenacious, and we got the deal with Gravitas. Um, I think it, the, the whole process was about a year that's not bad. And, I, and in that time, what I did is I, I learned as much as I could. I went to every distribution panel, learned about, you know, sales agents, distribution. Um, I think that's really, you know, when you finish a film, now the, wor- the, the next part of the work starts. So mm-hmm. I think for filmmakers, it's just really important to learn as much as you possibly can. You know, and I'm glad you, you mentioned Dances with Films because Dances with Films is starting again on June 1st. Down, down at the at the man's Chinese complex in Hollywood. And I got to say, the lineup, you know, and I actually posted this on social media publicly. I think the lineup for Dances with Films this year is better than the Los Angeles Film Festival lineup. Oh, it looks terrific. I'm planning on seeing a handful of things. And they are, I, 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 I can't stress enough, like that is such a filmmaker's festival. I made lifelong friends that were all there for each other, supportive you know, advice, working on each other's films, like it, you know, and I was just there a year ago and it was just such an honor and a thrill. And I I just love that festival. Leslie and Michael are terrific. Leslie, I have known for many, many years, going back to either the first or second Dances with Films. Wow. Um, And I'll actually, well, I actually, well, then I hope to see you because I will actually be down there uh, for Dances with Films. Oh, great. Well, I'd love to meet you in person. You know. Uh, I will be floating around. I know I'll be there opening night for the opening night red carpet. Uh, and then, you know, at various screenings and things throughout and doing interviews throughout the festival. But this document, When the Bow Breaks, this is a fabulous documentary. And it's not, ju- not just for women to watch, but husbands to watch. I, well, I, and I think, you know, I think everyone should watch yeah. this. It covers mental health in general. And I think it's, you know, a really compelling story to follow along. Yeah. Unfortunately, Jamie, Lynn, we are out of time for the day. The show is, is almost over here. <laughs> this has been an absolute treat to speak with you. Oh, for me, it's such an honor. Thank you so much I mean, for having me. This is such, it's an important film. It's an important issue. Uh, and it does, as you said, it speaks to mental health, which is something 
that affects everybody. Um, and everybody can find When the Bell Breaks on Netflix right now. Do we have DVD plans, Blu-ray? Yeah, Netflix, iTunes. Um, you can buy it on DVD from everywhere from uh, Target, Best Buy. If you go to our, if you go to When the Bell Breaks Film dot com, you can get all the information there as well. Fabulous. Well, I look forward to seeing you in a couple weeks at Dances with Films. In the meantime, When the Bell Breaks, people, you can watch it. You can see it everywhere. Thanks, Jamie Lynn. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that's all the time we have today. So until next week. Ah, and Byron Bean is back with me next week to play co-pilot. I'm very excited. He's coming in from New York. And he will be here live in person with me in the studio. So until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. (laughs) 